Thanks very much. A little clarification. Um, in South Alabama and South Georgia, we don't have wine grass. It's wire grass. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a, a, a meadow grass under these longleaf pines. It's part of this unique ec ecosystem across North Florida, South Alabama, and South Georgia. It's really very beautiful country. But uh, welcome all of you to, uh, to Alabama. It's a great honor for me to be here. Uh, the AASLH has been such an important part of the profession of history in the United States. In, in 1981, I went to uh, a two-week seminar that AAS, AASLH sponsored about history interpretation, where they brought in scholars and, and then discussed how you get the big ideas that are in the academic world to the people. And, and what I learned in those two weeks really helped define my career. I'm extremely grateful to AASLH for all it's done for history, and, and uh, I can commend you for all you do in representing history across the United States. Um, in thinking about what I should talk about tonight, um, the theme of this meeting is turning points, and, and you just happen to be coming to Alabama at a pretty good time when we're thinking about turning points, too. Uh, so I thought I would talk about, uh, let me just explain that a little further. This year is, is the 200th anniversary of the Creek War that led to the creation of Alabama. So the 150th anniversary, of course, uh, of the Civil War and, and emancipation. And, and, and as you all know, it's the 50th anniversary of some of the major events of the Civil Rights Movement. All of these anniversaries are coming together for us at the same time. And a number of history organizations in Alabama tried to work together so that we could talk about these three great turning points as a whole. And if you stand back and look at them, those, these three turning points kind of illuminate the great arc of Alabama history. So I thought what I would do tonight as a way of trying to welcome those of you who are not from Alabama and perhaps those of you who are, are from Alabama who would just like to step back and think about this, is I'd like to talk about these three turning points and talk about how they fit together and how they help tell the story of Alabama history. Uh, the first of these is the Creek War. And people who don't live in Alabama may not appreciate what a remarkable and interesting and important event this was, not only in Alabama, but in American history. Um, briefly, uh, in, in the, the late 1600s and early 1700s, the, the land that is now Alabama was occupied by people that almost all of whom the Europeans and Americans would call Creek Indians. Uh, loose townships that were linked together, probably only about 20,000. They, um, they did pretty well through the early 1700s. They could play the Europeans, the French, the British, and the Spanish off against each other, and they sold deerskins uh, to get the things that they need, and they prospered pretty well during this time. The American Revolution, however, was a disaster for them. Uh, let's, there we go. Um, at the end of the American Revolution, the, the French and, the, and the, the British were gone. The Spanish were still in Florida. But the Georgians were claiming all of this territory that the Indians occupied all the way to the Mississippi River. And, and so 
and, and they weren't interested in the deerskin trade. They wanted the creek's land. So skirmishes broke out immediately after the American Revolution as, as settlers would infringe on Creek territory. The Indians would retaliate. Uh, the, the Indians would run up debts. They would cede a little land to pay off their debts. And, and gradually, the frontier moved west, and many of the Indians grew resentful. By the early 1800s, the Creek Nation was in something of a crisis. Uh, there was a whole group of Creeks who had been working with the, the Americans and the Europeans for now generations, and, and they were adapting. They were learning uh, American farming practices and were becoming like the Americans. Some had plantations and owned slaves. Um, there were others, though, who were increasingly resentful at the Americans who were pushing into their land and, and the insults that they were, they were enduring. By 1810, 1811, these two factions had reached a point where they were beginning to fight among themselves. There were attacks on each other's village. Then the War of 1812 broke out, and the Red Stick Creeks saw an opportunity. Uh, during the American Revolution, many uh, British agents had worked among the Creeks to, to help them, to get them to attack the American settler, settlements on the frontier. And the Red Sticks thought, here's another opportunity for us to ally ourselves with Great Britain and perhaps now drive the Americans off our land. So the Red Sticks the, and the Americans, remembering the Revolutionary War, were extremely fearful of Indian attacks along the frontier. Um, in July of 1813, then, after the War of 1812 had broken out, a trading band coming up from Pensacola, Florida, into Creek Country, uh, a trading band of Red Sticks, was attacked by a local militia group uh, from, from, the, uh, from the Tinsaw area just north of Mobile. Uh, they were attacked, here they were attacked on their own land. They were able to fight the militia group off, but they were outraged that here they were being attacked on their own land. Meanwhile, the settlers themselves knew that trouble was a-brewing, and they started gathering in, in forts and stockades uh, 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 to, for self-protection. The next month, just 200 years ago last month, a group of about 800 red sticks attacked one of these forts called Fort Mims. There were about 300 or more people gathered inside Fort Mims. It was a mixture of, of militia, uh, local settlers, slaves, and friendly Indians uh, who were friends, friends with the Americans and fearful of the Red Sticks. The Red Sticks assaulted the fort. They killed almost everyone in it. It was a massacre. Uh, at, at the Fort Mims massacre uh, became a, a rallying cry, almost like Remember the Alamo, uh, all across the United States. And militia units and, and regular army groups from Tennessee, Mississippi, and Georgia descended on, on the Creek territory, attacking the Creeks. Um, this is a, a tech, standard Alabama textbook from the late 1800s into the early 20th century that's been used to depict the attack on Fort Mims, highly romanticized, of course. It was vicious and brutal uh, fighting uh, depicted in uh, this illustration and another one of the Indian fighter books, uh, Sam Dale and the uh, famous Alabama story, The Canoe Fight. Uh, after about seven months of brutal warfare in which uh, it was kind of like uh, burn and destroy everything, the last remnants of the creeks gathered in a bend of the Tallapoosa River 
uh, in, in what's now Tallapoosa County near Dadeville, Alabama. And about 800 of them were inside, and they built this barricade across the mouth of, of the peninsula. And Andrew Jackson and his troops arrived, and they attacked the barricade while a group of, of, of American Indian allies, other Creeks and, and Cherokees, who were fight, fighting alongside Jackson, crossed the river from the other side. The Red Sticks were routed. Almost every one of them was killed. There were only a few survivors. Uh, one of those was the famous War Chief Minowa, who escaped with about six or seven wounds. And quite a remarkable man. Many of you may be f familiar with this McKinney and Hall print uh, of Minowa. But after this was the final defeat of the Red Sticks. After this, uh, most of them either fled to Florida and joined the Seminoles, they were killed, or they disappeared into the forest. Andrew Jackson, that summer, the summer of 1814, called in all of the Creeks together uh, for a treaty conference at Fort Jackson, just north of, of, of Montgomery, and, and forced them to sign a treaty ceding land to the United States. The ironic thing and almost pathetic thing about this is that none of the Red Sticks were there. The Indians who had to cede their land were mostly the allies of Jackson who had fought with them against their Red Stick brothers. But the treaty session, in the treaty session, you could see what's left of the Creek Reserve straddling the line between Georgia uh, and, and Alabama, and almost 22 million acres of land was opened up for settlement. This happened just as the Industrial Revolution was taking off in Europe, they were changing from wool to, to cotton, textile was the driving industry, and, and there was a tremendous demand for cotton, cotton prices were high, and all of this new rich fertile land was opening up. Tens of thousands of settlers, uh, poor whites, planters with their slaves, moved into this new land to take advantage of the opportunities. And in just a few years, Alabama had enough people here to become a state. Uh, this is our first constitution written then in, in 1819. And the interesting thing about this constitution, though, uh, is section one, the very, of, the, of the Declaration of Rights, the very first of the Constitution, begins with this statement that all freemen, when they form a social compact, are equal in rights. Just think about this. For, Forty-three years after the Declaration of Independence, declaring that all men are created equal, Alabama was founded on a conscious deflection from that set of values toward a, a system that consciously, directly allowed for slavery and, and consciously built a new society and, and a new state based on slavery. Uh, and based on slave labor and the production of cotton, Alabama became one of the wealthiest parts of the United States over the next 40 years. Planters and, 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 and the prosperity of the plantation system and, and cotton planting. This leads to the next turning point. Um, by the late 1850s, with uh, increased criticism uh, uh, of the institution of slavery by abolitionists, with the fight over whether slavery would be allowed in the Western territories, Alabamians became more and more defensive of their institution and their way of life, and, and more and more prepared to say that we, they would not tolerate these insults to their dignity and honor. Um, this is the flag of the Mobile Cadets, for instance, uh, well before secession, uh, declaring that the time had come. 
Um, after the election of Abraham Lincoln uh, in November of, of 1860, the governor of Alabama immediately called for a, a secession convention that met in early January uh, 1861 and adopted this ordinance of secession in which Alabama seceded from the Union. It's, it's just to get a kind of a tone and feel of this document, it's really interesting just to start with the preamble. The election of Abraham Lincoln and Hannibal Hamlin by a sectional party avowedly hostile to the domestic institutions and the peace and security, uh, I like that, uh, the peace and security of the people of the state of Alabama is a political wrong so insulting and menacing a character as to justify the people of Alabama in the adoption of prompt and decided measures for their future peace and security. One other provision in this Alabama ordinance of secession was a section inviting all of the other slaveholding states to send representatives to Montgomery to discuss a common course of action, which leads the very next month to the, uh, the gathering of those representatives in Montgomery, the creation of the Confederacy, the adoption of a provisional constitution, and then a few weeks later, the swearing in of Jefferson Davis as the president of the Confederacy. Two years by two, uh, this is the Bible that Jefferson Davis used to take the oath of office. Two years later, the Confederacy had, uh, two, uh, 150 years ago this summer, the Confederacy had reached its high water mark with Vicksburg and Gettysburg. Uh, this flag of the 13th Alabama was the guide-on flag for Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg. Um, and, and was captured by the first Delaware volunteers and returned to the state of Alabama in 1905. Uh, but by this, this time, it was also the, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation had gone into effect, and in North Alabama, where there was substantial federal occupation, slaves were, former slaves were claiming their freedom for the first time. The war brought devastation to Alabama, and the bridge, railroad bridge at Decatur, for instance. Uh, this is a map that was done in June of 1865 showing how the railroads were destroyed all across the state. Uh, this is Fort Morgan uh, after uh, Admiral Farragut had seized Mobile Bay, uh, the, the battle in which, of course, he was re reported to have said, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead, and this is what he left behind after he sped past. Uh, but the war ended slavery. Uh, this photograph shows uh, black legislators at the Capitol uh, after the uh, Reconstruction Laws of 1867 forced the, as the state of Alabama to register black voters. And, and you can see the blacks are there. They're never a majority, but they were, they were a minority of representatives within the Republican Party, which was the majority. Um, most white Alabamians eventually rebelled and reacted against this, and by 1874, a conservative Democratic coalition seized control of both houses of the legislature and the governor's office in a sweeping election. They instituted a whole new regimen of, of government retrenchment and of an effort to restore white control of government, to end all of the... Uh, the, the federal programs that had uh, promoted African-American rights during the period of Reconstruction. And they were largely successful. Over the next 20 to 30 years, uh, black uh, political participation virtually vanished. Um, this was the symbol of the state Democratic Party 
not just in the 1870s, but this continued into the 1950s. Um, this, of course, leads to the next great turning point in Alabama history. And in talking about the Civil Rights Movement, what I'd like to, to do today is to talk, to talk about four different events in Alabama that were events of national importance that took place here. Uh, the first, of course, was in 1955 and 56, the Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, in the bus boycott, um, uh, it, it really brought the civil rights issue to the forefront of the nation in a new and powerful way. And it brought to the forefront a, new, a great articulate speaker in behalf of the cause of civil rights. Um, this, one of the most interesting documents we have in the archives is, is this, this document that was written by Martin Luther King and given out to the, the, the colored people of Montgomery after the bus boycott was over and the courts had ruled that segregation on public transportation was illegal. This was a handout then that they gave. Uh, and you may not can read it, but let me read just number, uh, points number uh, seven and eight on this. This is, advi uh, again, advice to the colored people about how to behave. Number seven, be quiet but friendly, proud but not arrogant, joyous but not boisterous. Be loving enough to absorb evil and understanding enough to turn an enemy into a friend. Um, despite the hand the hand of friendship that was extended after their victory in the bus boycott, whites in Alabama turned exactly the, the other way. They, they locked arm in, it was consciously a, a conscious effort of massive resistance. The idea is that if we don't give an inch on any front, if we stand united, perhaps we can withstand this attack on our way of life the way our ancestors did uh, uh, back in 1874. And, and so a new, for the next five years almost, not much happened in Alabama from, from 1956 uh, until 1961. And then on Mother's Day, uh, May 14th, 1961, you all know these photographs, the first Freedom Riders buses came into Alabama. This is one that was attacked near Anniston by a group of Klan members. A second bus arrived in Birmingham just a few blocks from here. Uh, the Bull Connor, the, the police chief, told the Ku Klux Klan in Birmingham, you've got 15 minutes before the police arrive, do your best. And, and this is the Klan members attacking uh, the Freedom Riders as they arrived in Birmingham. Uh, after these disasters, they got their act together and a new bus load led, left Birmingham for Montgomery. The following Saturday, they were attacked there. This is James Word the day afterwards. Uh, in the hospital, uh, one of the many victims uh, of the attacks on the Freedom Riders in Montgomery. But the Freedom Riders ha was another important national event. Uh, John Kennedy had just been elected President of the United States that January, so this is May. Uh, Kennedy was elected in large part with support from Southern Democrats. Uh, the governor of Alabama, John Patterson, was one of his main campaign leaders. Um, and, and so all of a sudden, just a few months after his election taking office, he has to choose between support for the civil rights workers or support for his southern political allies. And, and the violence of the Freedom Riders movement pretty much compels him to choose to protect the Freedom Riders movement. Uh, and 
the, by September of that year, the Federal Communication, the Interstate, Transport, Interstate Commerce Commission issued rulings formally desegregating uh, uh, all public interna uh, interstate transportation in the United States. So another big move forward uh, in the civil rights movement coming out of Alabama events. The next, of course, is Birmingham. Um, George Wallace was elected governor in late 62, took the oath of office in January of 63, proclaiming, of course, segregation now, segregation forever. Just a few weeks after that, Fred Shuttlesworth and Martin Luther King here in Birmingham start organizing marches advocating the, the, the desegregation of lunch counters in downtown and the hiring of black workers in downtown department stores. For weeks, these marches don't get much traction, and finally, in frustration in May, they start bringing in the school children and the children's march, and hundreds of them start showing up and start are arrested so that the jails of Birmingham are filled. Uh, Bull Connor, the police commissioner, doesn't have a place to put all of these kids, all these young people that he's arresting. He's extremely frustrated, so he calls out the fire hoses, the fire hoses and the dogs. Um, and this is happening just as the, the TV networks across the United States have pretty much standardized their nightly news broadcasts, 15 or 30 minutes broadcast of national news that are becoming part of the supper time of families all across the United States. And Birmingham is some of the main fare that they're watching during this time. And then, of course, just a few months later, uh, 50 years ago this month, is the bombing of the 16th Street Church, which, oops, sorry, which totally showed, wait, one more, which totally showed the moral bankruptcy of, of the system of segregation and leads directly to the U.S. Uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964. It grows directly out of the public response, the public reaction to what they were seeing in these violent events in Birmingham. And, of course, the last set of Alabama events is the Voting Rights March. On um, uh, Bloody Sunday, March uh, uh, 1965, uh, a group of marchers coming across Edmund Pettus Bridge is attacked as they reach the other side of the bridge by state, police, state troopers. And you can see now Congressman John Lewis there uh, on the ground being attacked by one of the state troopers. Um, it, there's a wonderful story about this uh, in Gene Patterson and Hank Klibanoff's book, The Race Beat. I don't know if any of you have read this, but that morning, uh, the sheriff of, of Dallas County, Jimmy Clark, was on ABC News, and was in New York and was on ABC News, and for 15 minutes he talked about how the people in Dallas County all got along with each other, that the only problems there were these outside agitators coming in and stirring up problems. A and this happened that afternoon, and this was before the time of direct uh, video linkage. So they had to drive this film from Selma to Montgomery, put it on a plane to Atlanta, fly it to Atlanta, fly it from Atlanta to New York, process it in the lab in New York, and they didn't have it ready until about 9 o'clock that night. Well, I don't, some of you who are my age may remember, but at that time, ABC was doing something called the Sunday Night Movies. Every Sunday night, they would bro broadcast a full-length movie, and it was the first time you could see that in prime time, a, a recent movie in prime time. That night, they were broadcasting Judgment at Nuremberg. 
And so ABC, in the middle of the judgment at Nuremberg, where they were, everybody was watching of the, the story of the Nazi Holocaust, they stopped and they showed these view, almost 15 minutes of footage from Selma. Um, uh, uh, Robert Klebanoff, uh, in their book, talk about how the next day at, at the Montgomery Airport, there were people who were coming in from all over the United States. There were people who literally got up and left their homes because they could not continue to live as they were seeing this kind of injustice going on in Alabama. So the voting rights march, re, the voting rights marchers regroup, and a few weeks later they march on to Montgomery. Uh, this up the same street that where the uh, Jefferson Davis marched to take the oath of office as president of the Confederacy, where George Wallace marched to become governor, uh, uh, was paraded to become governor of Alabama, and at the foot of the Capitol where both Davis and Wallace uh, uh, stood, Martin Luther King makes one of his greatest speech. This is his how long, not long speech. How, how long, not long, because no lie can live forever. How long, not long, because you shall reap what you snow. How long, not long, because the moral arm of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And, uh, and uh, this pretty much nailed the coffin, in, uh, put the nails in the coffin uh, of, of segregation. Segregation was over after this. The, the Voting Rights Act passed Congress and was signed by President Johnson later that summer. Uh, with federal protection, African Americans can now register, vote, police, uh, participate in public office in Alabama, and the legal institutions of slavery, the underpinnings of those, literally fell apart. Uh, so where are we today in Alabama? Um, it, in some ways, we're doing pretty well. Uh, most people don't think about this, but uh, it was in Alabama where the plans were developed and substantially executed to launch a man to the moon and return him safely home to Earth. And, that was, and Huntsville today is still a major center of technology and research and high-tech development. Uh, this is a shot of the space camp uh, in Huntsville. Um, the textile industry has been rolled up. It's just an amazing total collapse of an industry that once employed 160,000 people in Alabama. But we are now becoming one of the, nation, the nation's major centers of automobile production. Uh, as the land of Alabama is incredibly beautiful, and we're beginning to take advantage of that with tourism from golf to hunting and fishing and hiking and bird watching. Uh, tourism has become a, the beautiful, incredibly beautiful beaches. Tourism's become a major part of the economy of Alabama. But one of the things, uh, the, probably, one of the greatest historians in the United States is a historian named Mills Thornton, who happens to be a special scholar in Alabama history. And Mills said once that if you think about it, after the Civil Rights Movement ended and segregation was dead, what happened was that in every field of life, in every sphere of human contact where people come in, came, uh, came together, uh, old habits, attitudes, fears, prejudices, and even power sharing had to be readjusted to accommodate the new realities of a society that was inclusive. And that's pretty much what we've been going through for the last 50 years. I mean, we still have a long way to go, but we've come a long way. I mean, we still have sororities that are dealing with that problem, for instance. 
But we've come a long way, and football has played an amazingly important part in that. Uh, this is the Auburn National Championship team and uh, the Alabama team from last year. But uh, we still have a long way to go. Uh, but one thing I think has happened, that deflection away from the main course of American history that we took in 1819 when we walked away from the concept of all men being created equal to setting up separate categories. That's now gone. I think we, we recognize in Alabama that all people are created equal and are equal before the law. And I think we're building on that today to try to build a new state that will be a wonderful place to live for our children and our children after us. One of the things about this is the role of history in helping to make that future possible. I think our, in Alabama, our practice of the craft of history, one of our great challenges holding these turning points up so that everyone can see what happened, can understand these powerful events that shaped us and made us who we are, understand how these barriers from the past have divided us, and by, by this understanding, help us overcome those barriers and build a better tomorrow. Thank you again very much. I hope you enjoyed the rest of your stay here. Thank you.